Hello and welcome to this VJ Oncology podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest clinical research updates in oncology. In this episode, we will be discussing current affairs in global breast cancer care and practices. Andre Ilbawi of the World Health Organization starts off by addressing the issue of optimizing breast cancer care in low and middle income countries, as well as the new global breast cancer initiative launched by the World Health Organization. This is a very important uh, point of reality. As many of us know, this pandemic has impacted us in multiple dimensions, personal, professional, emotional. For breast cancer patients, it has not been an easy past year. The way the pandemic has impacted breast cancer care is similarly multidimensional. As a starting point, we know that access to what we call essential services have been disrupted. That means that hospitals may have beds that instead of focusing on cancer have to be diverted towards responding to the pandemic and the need to care for patients with the COVID virus. So as a result, hospitals may not be able to provide the same complexity and timeliness of cancer care as they had been in the past. Similarly, patients had fears, either that the hospitals weren't safe, primary care providers couldn't be visited, and that also resulted in delays. As a subset of that uh, fear, we also know that for many women, they weren't able to physically get to hospitals. It could be because of quarantine measures, lack of availability of public transportation, or simply a lack of financial access. And this added to the complexity of ensuring that women with cancer and women with breast cancer are able to get to a hospital or to a clinic to receive the care that they need. We have also seen that women uh, with cancer broadly, and perhaps, although we aren't 100% certain of the effect, there is a biological interface between the virus itself and people who are receiving cancer care. In some cancers, we know this to be a much stronger effect. In breast cancer, we're still analyzing the data to better understand it but there is a biological interface between the virus itself and cancer patients, particularly those that are immunosuppressed. So with this complex set of interfaces, we know that breast cancer care has been impacted globally. Some countries though have been able to respond and that is an important message that in fact, some mitigation measures as we call them have been successful. Whether that's the government getting involved to help women get to clinics through a navigation network, whether it is awareness programs to advise women with cancer, look, it is okay to continue in your cancer care, to be reassured, to visit your primary care provider, increased use of telemedicine and telehealth. There have been successful mitigation strategies. At WHO, we have been analyzing the impact of COVID on cancer care. Countries have reported that as many as 50% of them have experienced a partial disruption of cancer services. We've also looked in the peer-reviewed literature to better understand what are some of the precise ways that breast cancer care is being impacted, and also looking at strategies to understand how can the community respond. We've been pleased to publish on those papers and are now working on models to help governments plan for a response. As we look to build back better, an important concept here is that we can learn from the lessons of COVID to better understand how can we care for cancer patients. How can we avoid those delays or interruptions in therapy? They have been more common during the COVID pandemic, but it has also been true that they exist for certain high-risk or vulnerable populations even before the pandemic. So we can learn from our experience to build systems to meet the needs of women with breast cancer so that while we look to emerge from the virus, we build a system that can better respond to the broader needs of cancer patients and women who continue to receive breast cancer care. Now we have Carol Ben, 
from the Breast Cancer Center of Excellence, Mill Park Hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa, talking about access to breast cancer therapies in South Africa. Firstly, I think that you guys have done an amazing job with the online. I've been keeping up with the online lectures. Obviously, we all missing sitting and having a Sasha Torton relaxing and some coffee and interacting with people. So I think if I just run through a couple of the posters, the first poster is actually based on a name made by one of my registrars or residents, Alexandria. And um, it's important. It looks at uh, what we did was we looked at our patients with HER2 positive breast cancer, which I think is super relevant in terms of the lectures we've had and looked at the ones undergoing early stage um, neoadjuvant chemotherapy with Herceptin. And the, the relevance is that our data basically mimics what everyone's seeing throughout the world, that you are seeing the ERPN negatives, HER2 positives, and we're looking not at dual therapy, but just with Herceptin, um, who has a PCR and who doesn't have a PCR. And obviously we see with the triple positives less um, complete pathological response than the ER positive PR negatives or ERPR negatives and high KIs. And I think it's hugely relevant in our South African scenario because our patients don't have access in the government setting to Herceptin in the neoadjuvant. So it's an early stage disease. They prefer us to operate on the patient first and then give Herceptin afterwards. And when you look at the data, we really want access to our state patients to have uh, Herceptin or one of the biosimilars in a neoadjuvant setting. So I think it's a super relevant poster. Obviously in my private unit, which is where the data comes from, um, we, we, we basically treat as you do through the rest of the world. And what we are looking forward to is utilizing more dual therapy in the neoadjuvant setting. So hopefully in a year or two, we can present that PCR data, which I think would be excellent. Um, I've got a good couple of patients currently who are going to have dual therapy um, and with their neoadjuvant treatment. So that was the first one. Um, Professor Rappaport is really the, the person to speak to in this country around triple negative breast cancers. And I'm sure you're going to interview him. And together we put together a really nice um, um, poster looking at, again, PCR in our triple negative breast cancer patients. And um, we've been keeping in touch with what's happening in the rest of the world. And it would be nice, um, basically, our... Um, primary oncology treatment would be TAC with Nulastin and um, with close ultrasound follow-up every two cycles of chemotherapy. And um, what we um, see is that, again, the, the patients that do well do really well. What we've got happening at the moment with our um, pathologists is we are upfront looking at the core biopsies and documenting what the teals are, tumor infiltration, lymphocytes, and the Patients with high levels of those obviously seem to do better. And it would be nice instead of the ones that don't respond so well, moving them on to a platinum base just to look at other treatments, PDL ones, etc. So um, I think that's very, very important. At last, we have Cynthia Villarreal Garza from the Mexican National Cancer Institute and Tecnológico de Monterrey, Mexico, speaking about the prescribing practices of endocrine therapy for premenopausal breast cancer patients in Mexico. 
It is well known that endocrine therapy is an essential component on the management of hormone-sensitive breast cancer, which accounts approximately of 70% of all breast cancer cases. An aspect that warrants consideration when exploring the current use of endocrine therapy is the physician's prescribing practices. And to date, there is limited data in the literature regarding physicians' adherence to guideline endorsed endocrine therapy prescription, the barriers encountered for prescribing the standard of care and the regimens that are ultimately administered. So the main objective of this study was to address this gap in knowledge regarding physicians' endocrine therapy prescribing practices. Our study aimed to compare the endocrine therapy prescribed to Mexican premenopausal breast cancer patients with the gold standard according to current national and international guidelines and to identify factors that hinder the use of the optimal treatment in a real world clinical setting. So our work consisted of a multicentric cross-sectional study of premenopausal patients with primary hormone sensitive breast cancer stage one to three who had been receiving adjuvant endocrine therapy for at least one year prior to inclusion. The study took place in three public and private breast cancer referral centers located in Monterrey and in Mexico City. So clinical pathologic characteristics and prescribed endocrine therapy were collected from medical records. Two breast cancer oncologists then independently determined the endocrine therapy for, of choice for each patient according to national and international guidelines specifically ASCO, SOSMO, and NCCN guidelines. These two oncologists considered ovarian function suppression for patients who were, who were less than 35 years, who had no involvement, or who had at least two or more high-risk characteristics, such as tumor size more than two centimeters, high histological grade, or high KI-67. The key finding was that the gold standard of endocrine therapy was prescribed only in 62% of cases, while the remaining 38% should have, gone under, should have undergone ovarian function suppression, but instead received only tamoxifen. Physicians' reasons for not recommending ovarian function suppression when it was part of the therapy of choice were one, considering it was not necessary, and two, because GNR, GNRH analogs were not, were not affordable for patients. Remarkably, a larger proportion of patients for whom the whole standard included ovarian function suppression received analogs, GNRH analogs when these agents were covered by their health insurance than when they were not. Additionally, guideline-endorsed regimens were prescribed more often by medical than by surgical oncologists. This finding suggests that the gold standard of treatment is prescribed to a suboptimal proportion of patients due to limited prescription of ovarian function suppression. Therefore, interventions aimed at refining physicians' knowledge on the importance of ovarian function suppression in high-risk premenopausal breast cancer patients and initiatives directed at increasing access and coverage of GNRH analogs could prove pivotal to enhance optimal endocrine therapy implementation and adherence to clinical guidelines, which could translate into improved disease outcomes in this group. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and feel more aware about the global outlook on breast cancer care and practices. A big thank you to the speakers for sharing their time and valuable knowledge with us. If you have any thoughts on today's discussion, be sure to share them with us on Twitter by following and tagging the handle at VJ Oncology. You can also visit our website, vjoncology.com and hear the most up-to-date information from the experts themselves, as well as groundbreaking coverage in the field of breast cancer. Make sure to subscribe to VJ Oncology podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.